Welcome to New City's Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. So instead of praying for that, we're going to pray that God would meet us uh, through the Word as we continue our series and talk about choosing to blend. We are the people of God. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Romans 15. We'll also have it on the screen. But let me pray that God would meet us as we see his word tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do meet us, that anytime we read the word, you promise it won't come back void. And so when we encounter this word, we encounter your voice. And we pray that you would change us and shape us and expand our vision for our lives and the, the, expand the vision of what it means to love, receive love, and give love. We pray that we would be changed in our thinking and our actions and our affections tonight. Only you can do this. My words can't do this. Only you can do this. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present among us, that you would continue to make us a changed people that we would truly be people who choose to blend because we are the people of God through Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Romans 15, it's towards the end of the book, but Paul is addressing people who don't want to blend. They have some issues with each other. It is Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church in ancient Rome, and they have some differences around how to do church together because they come from different backgrounds. And so let's see what Paul says to them about their differences in blending. Romans 15.1 says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people and again praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the Word of God. Several years ago, I went to a pastor's retreat, and uh, this older pastor who was very seasoned and kind of had become a pastor to pastors, he gathered about 15 of us pastors around the table, and he asked us this question. He said, if blank were a church, I would go there, and he told us, fill in the blank. So if blank were a church, I would go there, and here's why. And he kind of teased us. He said, don't be churchy when you answer. Don't be like, I'd go to my church or I'd go to a church that had my vision. I want to ask you where like you feel connected and where you feel you're part of something bigger than yourself and don't give a churchy answer, which is really hard for pastors to do. Well, I had something pop into my mind immediately. And so I was like, I'm going to go first. And I said this, if Anfield Stadium home of Liverpool Football Club, were a church, I would go. I would go because we get to sing the songs and cheer on the Reds, and we get to watch Coach Jurgen Klopp lead us to victory, and we get to fight against the evil Manchester United. And it was really funny because the pastor, the pastor of pastors looked at me and he goes, what did you say? And I thought, I, got, I was like, oh, I took it too far. And I said, Anfield Stadium, the home of Liverpool Football Club. And I'm not kidding. He goes, that's my church too. I was like, that's where you would have as your church? And he goes, yes, I'm a Liverpool fanatic. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man. So immediately, like, we forgot about the other 15 pastors. And we started talking about the history of Liverpool and how amazing it would be to sit at the end of the, the stadium where the home fans are and these great moments that happened in the stadium and talking about all our heroes, Steven Gerrard and Fernando Torres. And I know you're already bored because that's what happened to the, all the pastors in the room. And it was this weird moment where him and I bonded and we're still friends today because we like bonded over this thing where we felt like we belonged to the same thing. And it was this awesome moment. And everyone else felt left out. (laughs) As we bonded over this common interest, we felt like we belonged to each other. But the more we talked, the more everyone else wanted us to shut up. And the more everyone else felt left out. See, it's this weird thing about being people where we find that we can belong to one another and bond with one another when we're similar or we have similar interests or similar backgrounds or similar worldviews or or think the same kind of things. And at the same time, what happens when we experience that beauty of connecting with other people, we also leave other people out. It happens at the same time. There's a shadow side to that finding the beautiful connection. And it's not bad. It's a wonderful thing to have people like you. You go, you get me, you're like me. You like the same kind of things. But there also is a shadow side to that beautiful thing, which is people get left out. I think we see this so pervasively in our culture and unfortunately in the church, where because life is constructed around me, my interests and my life experience and my views of the world and my politics, then we think that should carry over into the church. 
And when it does, we inevitably bond and belong, but we leave people out because we don't blend. Part of being the church is being willing to blend. And I think we saw this so heightened during COVID because during COVID, there were all these things that divided people. Masks, no masks. Vaccines, no vaccines. And I was so proud of our church during that season because we didn't really have any of that. Everyone's like, let's love each other and try make make it through this together. But that wasn't the case for every church. In fact, an acquaintance of my, mine uh, at a church out in the Bellevue area of Washington They had to close their church because it was so divided during COVID. Jesse and Marissa Butterworth put out a video on April uh, April 11th of 2021 basically telling their church, we can't reopen because we're so divided. Jesse said, we saw people leave our church because they were frustrated that we weren't meeting soon enough. We saw people leave because they thought we were trying to meet too soon. We saw people leave because we taught the Bible in a way that didn't align exactly with their political party of choice. We saw people leave because they thought we didn't take a strong enough stance on social issues. We saw people leave because they thought we took too strong of a stance on social issues. And because all those people left, they said, look, we're not going to start this thing back up. We're closing the church down. And, and so it, it makes us kind of reconsider that question. If blank were a church, I'd go there, and here's why. And we kind of wonder if it's really about what we put in that blank. Is that the ultimate goal, to find a church that we'd like to go to, and here's why? Because, because we want to go to a church that we feel that people are like me, right? We, they, they want to be around people that feel they get me and they have the same identity to me or they align with my politics or ethnicity or socioeconomic. But I'll tell you, the, the world thinks that way and we have never been in a divided moment like we are now. In fact, the division that we have in our country right now is marking the younger generations, I just finished this book called Generations by Jean Twingy, and she talks about all the generations, silence, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and the next generation, which some are calling Gen Alpha, but she has chosen to call them the polars. Now, these are people born 2013 and after. I have one polar in my home. It's my youngest. But she calls them the polars. One of the reasons why is they are growing up in a time where extreme political polarization is the norm. That's their world that they'll enter into. And it just made me sad for that generation that their experience of the world will be so extreme, so divided among people. But here's the thing, as the people of God through Jesus Christ, we are called to be different. We are called not to be divided by our secondary differences or polarized by different types of people because there's something that's happening in the gospel that's bigger than us naturally bonding. Through those who repent and come to Jesus Christ, the borders of belonging are being extended. See, worshipers of Jesus are called to intentionally, proactively blend across barriers. 
We are choosing to blend because we are one people from all types of people. We are people who have different stories but find ourselves united in one story and have one spirit, the spirit of God in us together. First, worshipers of Jesus blend as one people. Now, we've already said that we typically see the world about uh, through the lens of like, who's my people? Who do I identify with? Who do I see the world the same way? Who has my views on things or has shared in my sufferings or has my longings? And usually we feel the biggest obligation to that group of people that we say is my people. But that's exactly what Paul is addressing to the church in Rome here in Romans 15. See, in the church in Rome, it was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And before the emperor Claudius came to power, it was kind of like the Jews, it was their church. They were the ones who had come to Christ, and they had repented of their sins, and they had believed the gospel, and they had trusted the Lord Jesus and the church was kind of their church, and the Gentiles started coming in, but it was a predominantly Jewish church until Claudius came to power and said, I am going to banish the Jews from Rome. And he kicked all the Jewish people out of Rome, including the Jewish Christians. In fact, we think that might be who Priscilla and Aquila were fleeing if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, that they were fleeing Rome because of Claudius expelling the Jews. Well, five years later, Claudius dies and all the Jews come back to Rome. And those Jewish Christians who had left that church find that it was no longer their church because the Gentiles were the predominant group in that church. The people who weren't Jewish, they kept the church going. They ran the church. They, they grew. They knew the Lord. They walked together as family. And then the Jewish people came back in and like, what happened to my church? This is totally different than when we left Rome. What they're struggling with is the fact that they wanted to bond and they wanted to belong, but when they came together as Jewish and Gentiles, they were divided and splintered. Now, the Jewish people, they observed Jewish holidays. They observed Jewish food laws. And the Gentiles were like, we don't do none of that. That's not a part of our faith experience at all. In fact, we believe what happened when Jesus and Paul said all foods are clean, that we don't have to restrict our diet in order to get close to God. And the Jewish people said, well, we believe the gospel, but, but this is part of our tradition, so we want to bring that into our faith experience. Let's bring it in. And the Gentiles said, no, we're good. And Paul, rather than just solving that issue, says there's something bigger going on than you just being two different people with two different things going on. You're actually one people. That's the issue. The issue isn't the issue. The issue is that you're thinking too small about yourselves. And as one people, you actually have obligations to each other. See, in verse 1, Paul says to them, now we who are strong, that would actually be the Gentiles who know they don't have to eat certain foods or restrict certain foods in order to be close to God. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Paul is saying, yes, in the gospel, 
you don't have to not eat foods in order to get close to God, but that's not the only issue. The only issue is that these weak people can't be in a room where you're eating certain types of food because it messes with their faith. And your obligation is not to just fight over the issues. Your obligation is to love that other person. And so when Paul says your obligation is to please the other person, he's not talking about people-pleasing. He's talking about loving. R. Kent Hughes says it's this way. He says, it, or pleasing others, is a determined adjustment of our lifestyle to whatever will contribute to the spiritual good of the other person. What I want, what my preferences are, aren't as important as me adjusting so that I can help you grow. Because we're one people. Too, too often, we think about moving towards people in order to change them rather than changing ourselves so we can better love others. Too often, we treat people based on where we think they should be rather than where they are and moving towards them in love. See, what we learn in our culture with all the tribalism going on, your tribe probably teaches you a caricature of what the other tribe believes. Like, have you, do you even know what the other tribe believes based on a real conversation with the real person, or have you got it from the talking heads on YouTube? See, our tribe tells us about the other side, what they believe, and then our tribes usually tell us that those people are dumb for believing it, and then we're, we're taught how to treat those people. But in the household of God, it's different. Now, look, I'll say this clearly. I think identity politics on both the left and the right are seriously problematic. At the same time, the Bible doesn't shy away from our differing identities. I mean, in the Old Testament, we see that there's a category for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the sojourner. And because of their identity, we're taught to be generous and kind to those who are vulnerable. In the New Testament, we have Jews and Gentiles. We have men and women. We have rich and poor. And all that's part of who we are. Yet Paul is saying that's not all of who you are. There's something bigger, and it's you are the united people of God. And our obligation is to each other. You know, there are times when I get annoyed with other types of Christians. Like, I'll just be honest. There are times when I'm like, that doesn't even make sense what you believe, and I'm going to post about it on Facebook. That happened like two weeks ago. I put a story up of something, and it was kind of a, I meant it to be like a mic drop moment, like, boom, I said it. And I sent it out there, and I was like, man, that's not going to change anybody's mind. And secondly, Am I really caring about those people or do I just want to get in a little debate with someone? Because if I want to get in a debate with someone, it's not really about them and helping them and loving them. It's more about me and how I want to feel. So I left that post up for about four hours and then I felt convicted. I was like, I'm deleting it. I'm taking it down because there's something bigger going on. Verse two, Paul tells us, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And I think about my, my post. It wasn't sin and love. It was to kind of 
tear down. And what Paul is calling us to do is to approach other believers who are different than us and think of ourselves more like an architect rather than a wrecking ball. An architect who's trying to build them up in the faith. Notice Paul doesn't say here, it doesn't matter when anyone believes. Everyone's a little messed up and so we're all okay. That's not what he says at all. He says that there is sin, there are things that are unrighteous, there are things that are wrong. And yet, as you engage other people, you engage them for their good, not so you can make a point. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. See, there's a huge difference between I'm right and you're wrong and speaking the truth in love. Two totally different things, but we must speak the truth in love because we are one people. Paul reminds us that this comes not out of nowhere, but out of Jesus himself. In verse three, Paul says, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. What, what Paul is telling us is that the ultimate separation, the ultimate division between people groups was God and man. Because of our sin, a holy and just God could not look away from our sin. He had to deal with it. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring the two polar opposites together through his death on the cross. And when Jesus came near us, he was not celebrated. He was insulted. And yet he came anyway. He blended in love. So that the power and penalty of sin were broken over us. Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. And yet he was put on the cross as if he was the worst sinner ever sinless, but counted among the sinners so that he could break sin's power and penalty over us. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die so that through his death, we might live. He's the ultimate example of moving towards people who are different. And so, so what Paul is saying is like, look, your, your views on things, are they that big of a deal? Well, maybe you should talk them out but do it with the good of the other person in mind, just like Jesus moved towards us for our good. I'm reminded of several stories just of different people who have done this. I was thinking the other day about um, our church in St. Louis, and our church in St. Louis was made up of about half, uh, half people who were born in other countries and had come to the United States as refugees and immigrants. And it was so interesting because one of the groups was from Burma. And in Burma, the culture is very reserved. And when you worship, it's very reserved. And you don't sing very loud. In fact, the only loud people in Burmese culture are children who are not disciplined by their parents. So loudness is seen as immoral. And then we had another group from Western Africa and East Africa. And if you're not standing on the pew when you worship, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And it was so interesting how worship played out between these two different groups of people because they, they tended to look at each other and go, how is God with them? How can God be with them? I mean, even the way they did offering was so different. The Burmese loved, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Put your offering in very slowly so no one sees. Whereas in African culture, the offering is an event. You don't stay in your seat. You dance to the front and you put your offering in and then you spin around and head back that way because we give joyfully to the Lord who saved us. Which one's right? Well, that's not the issue. The issue is you're one people. You're one people. And what does it look like for you to be willing to give space for each other, even though you're not the same? We're one people who have one story. Worshippers of Jesus blend together in one story. We're in a story crisis in our culture. Everyone's trying to figure out what the real story is. And so you have stories about a stolen election. You have stories that come from things like the 1619 Project. You have political stories like Don't Say Gay or things that come out of QAnon. And here's the challenge with those stories. Everyone treats those stories as if they're the story. And I'll tell you, if you get sucked up in one of those stories as if it is the story, you will lose hope. Because all those stories are about how the other side is wrong. And there's a greater story that God calls us into. Even here in Rome, you must realize that the two people groups, the Jews and Gentiles, were in conflict about things like injustice and culture and politics. And what Paul says to them is, those stories are stories, but it's not the story. Because the Jews and Gentiles had thought that that was the story, all they could do is indict and accuse one another and lose hope. And it's so interesting, if you kind of think about that as you read the whole book of Romans, you understand what Paul's doing. Like, and even in Romans 3.23, where Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, he's not just saying some blanket theological statement as if he's, it's more that he's actually poking at both the Jews and the Gentiles and saying, for all people Jews have sinned, for all people Gentiles have sinned. Uh, can you see that you're both sinners and that is the story. But it's not the end of the story. Because all people who believe in Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, man or woman, slave or free, all who believe are justified freely by the grace of God. And see, that, that gets to the story. The story is much bigger than our lives or our people or our moment in culture. Verses 8 through 11, Paul says there's a much bigger story that we're part of. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the Father and so that the Gentiles may glorify him for his mercy. Paul is saying, here's the story. God is bringing worshipers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to worship him through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the story. And here's what's amazing is that story brings incredible hope to anybody and everybody, no matter how broken and sinful you are, no matter what culture you're from, 
no matter who your people are, no matter what your political views are, we come together and we have hope in this story. And it leads us to to a greater worship and a greater welcome. In verse five, Paul says this. You can go one slide ahead. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. Go ahead, one. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. Paul's saying it's not just about one group of people worshiping. There's something special that happens when different people get together to worship. It's a greater worship, a greater worship of Jesus. And it's not just about being in church and singing together. It's about welcoming one another into our lives together, that we're in this story together so that we should actually walk together and share our lives and love one another. We're in this story together. And and maybe that would actually help with the bonding and the belonging that we all want in church. A friend of mine was telling me that he had someone in his church who came to him, and she'd been around a while, and she said to him, look, um, I've been here a while in this church, but I'm not really bonded to anybody. I don't really belong. I'm not really feeling it. And he really wisely said to her, like, how devoted are you to this church? Like, are you blending? Are you putting yourself out there? Are you saying that you're part of God's story here at this church? And she was like, no. He said, go be intentional. See yourself as part of the bigger story, but right here at this church. Blend with other people. Love them. Devote yourself to them. And he checked in with her like six months, and she said, it changed everything. It changed everything. This is now my church. I'm actually bonded and belong to these people because I acted on the fact that we're in one story together and we have one spirit. That's the last thing. Worshippers of Jesus blend through one spirit. Let me get this real quick. It's just water. Just as the spirit was poured out, I thought as an illustration I would pour water out that moment. All right, verse 13 says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Worshippers of Jesus blend through one spirit. Let me reread that verse, but let me do it through the New City Amplified translation, which says this. Now may the God of hope fill all y'all with all joy together and peace together as you believe together so that together you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in all of us together that know Jesus Christ. See, the the conflict we have, the differences we have, the customs and cultures we have, um, what's bigger is that we have one spirit together. And and here's the strange thing that happens for Christians is when you had the Holy Spirit together, you find that he creates a supernatural bond with people who you don't have anything in common. You find yourself belonging deeper to people of God, not because you're like them, but because you both have God living in you. It's a very strange thing. And what this means is Christians have a resource in this polarized moment that no tribe can offer, that we can actually face the toughest differences among us because we have the Holy Spirit who brings mercy and joy and peace.
And so my challenge to you is choose to blend. Choose to cross barriers. Choose to put the other person more, make the other person more important than yourself. This last week, um, Virginia and I lost a friend named Justin Sarugo. We have a picture of Justin. Justin Sarugo was a refugee who came from eastern uh, Congo to the United States, and he was part of this tribe called the Banyamalenge tribe. And maybe around 2000, 2005, somewhere in there, his tribe experienced a massacre at a place called Gatumba, where another tribe came and basically just wiped their tribe out. And Justin and some of his friends, who we knew as well, were just boys, and they just ran. Like, everyone's dying, we're just going to run. And some of them ran all the way from Congo to Nairobi to get away. And you'd think something like that would mark Justin in a way um, where he maybe thought about his own tribe. Like sometimes when you go through something like that, you're like, I'm just going to watch out for my people. But that wasn't Justin at all. I'll never forget one particular moment with Justin. He asked me over to his house. It was just me and him. He was going to cook me lunch. And he made me this dish, some meat. I can't remember what it was, but I love meat, so it was good. And we ate, and we talked, and we laughed together. And then when I kind of felt like maybe things were winding down, he said, I'll be right back. And he went into the kitchen, and he got the full dish of meat, and he brought it, and he looked at me, and he put it down in front of me. And I didn't understand what was going on, and he explained. He said, in my culture, we keep the food in the kitchen as a way to kind of make sure that we have some left over. But if you're family, we bring it out and we say, what's mine is yours, and what belongs to me belongs to you. And that was such a powerful moment for me because I said, oh, he's trying to blend. He's offering me something from his culture and from his cultural perspective that means I'm important to him. And he's not going to keep this in reserve. He's given me everything that he just made and saying, I can eat as much as I want. I hold nothing back from you. This past week, Justin passed away of stomach cancer. And his memory comes back to mind. But I'll, I'll never forget him sitting there across the table from me, holding nothing back, giving me his love, blending, offering him self to me, because we're part of the people of God. We're one people in one story with one spirit, offering ourselves to each other. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week. Thank you.